Yeah, so how are you doing today? Good. It's great to see you. I feel like moods are high. We're all ready for the really hot weather and to go to the beach and the mountains and barbecue and whatever. We're ready for it. And so I'm, I'm ready for it too. We'll be outside here for like a couple more weeks and then we're going to move back inside for good. But hopefully by that time, you know, people will feel more comfortable and slowly, slowly, slowly we'll build, build, build back into what we were. And, um, and so whatever that newness is, we will navigate that together. Today we are talking about First John. This was the lectionary text today and I, it's one of my favorites and really for me, it has really laid the groundwork of the theological and pastoral work of the church for me. Um, you know, I grew up in a lot of ways uh, understanding God as this punisher, right? God as one that if you did not approach God in the right terms, in the right way, then you could get smote by God's smiting power, right? Like God is this sort of angry deity who wants you to be holy and perfect and good. And if you don't meet those standards, then ultimately you may find yourself in hell, right? Like that's, I don't know about you. That's basically how I grew up. Now, no one would describe it like that. People would be like, yeah, God is love, but God is also justice. And if you are, if you, if you, God will justly send you to hell. And I'm like, what? Um, what you lost me somewhere between love and hell, like, um, you lost me there. Those things, you know, really can't go together. So like for me, this, this framework of first John has been so significant and I'm going to read it here for you. Ready? Um, first John four, seven to 21. You ready? You didn't say you're ready. Uh, good. Yes. That's the sort of enthusiasm that we're looking for today. It says this, dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. I'm going to put it up here. I'm so sorry. I'm a mess today. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed God's love among us. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent God's son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is made complete in us. And this is how we know we live in God and God in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that that God the Father has sent God's Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And then, ultimately, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In the world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect fear drives, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love God because God first loved us. If we say that we love God, yet hate a brother or sister or a fellow human, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love one another. This is the word of God for us and all the people of God. This to me is like the apex 
of the summary of what God is doing in the world. Like we, we began with understanding God in a garden of Eden, and we walked through that and, and trying to, to understand God more as we developed and evolved in our understanding, and we come to this space of Jesus, the ultimate reflection, the ultimate revelation, the ultimate pouring out of God into humanity and Jesus dies for us, as we see here. As we know, that's like the center of our faith, right? Jesus died for our sins. What does that mean? It means Jesus took on the, the, the power structures of the world, the power structures of the evil that we have created that dehumanize us to ourselves, to one another. And Jesus, through Jesus' death, through Jesus' life, through Jesus' faithfulness, has paved a new way, has overcome the ways of death and opened up a door so that we could journey into a new way of doing life called the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is, is centralized on this idea of love, of love. If you have known nothing else in my time with you, I hope that that is that. I hope that, that, I hope that that's what you take away, that that, the love, like that is ultimate in the life of a, of a follower of Jesus. Like, yes, theology is important. But love is the most important. The way that we do church is important, but love is the most important. And if we centralize and, and center ourselves upon that reality of loving one another, of, of doing that better, more efficiently, giving more attention to that, then we are living in God. For whoever does love lives in God because God is love. We had this argument a lot when I was growing up in theological circles and in seminary and whatever, it was like, well, when, when people who don't believe in God do love, are they, are they participating in God? And a lot of people said, no, they aren't because they would need to believe in Jesus to participate in God. But like, no, 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 I, I, I think so. I think if you do love in this world, you are reflecting and participating in God regardless of what you believe about the world, regardless of what you believe about, about Jesus. You are participating because God is Love, love is the most central thing in the world. And when we do that and participate in that, we are participating in the work of God. Whether Whatever we believe about God, we are participating in that space. There is no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. Now, now, now this is a sidebar today, but... You can believe whatever you want to believe. That's fine. I don't. I, the, my statement right here is it's not meant to infringe or to change what you believe in about anything. Like you can believe what you believe. That's fine. I've always told you you can disagree with me. Cool. Let's disagree together and let's let's reason together. That's fine. Great. But like I don't think I, I don't think hell's a real thing where people are going to go after we die. Okay. So like let's just get that out there. I think that was a that that's been a belief in the church for a long time. But to me, that belief is about control. It is about manipulation of people. It is about the, the about threatening people to to say you need to act and to think like we do in order to have eternal security in the future, so you don't burn in hell. So therefore, act like we do, think like we do, walk like we do, as the church does, or else you're gonna go to hell. Like for me, that that's 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 not love, right? Like we just walked out. We, we walked out away from love when we began to threaten people with that. There's no fear in God, and fear has to do with punishment. What is hell, as we theologically understood it? 
punishment. It is a punishment that you didn't do the right thing. You didn't live the right way on this earth. And so, therefore, you're going to get punished by this. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe if God is love, then there is no punishment in God. And God is ultimate embrace. What is love? It is embrace. It, it, is, it, it, is, it is full embrace. If, um, if you have kids... I think I, I was reading this article, and they were talking about the interaction interaction they had with um, with a child and their child. And some of you have kids, some of you don't. Some of you will, some of you won't. That's fine, whatever. Um, but one of the things that the kids like to do is is they like to learn to get what they want, right? Like they have all these tricks to get what they want. And so sometimes that's when you tell them, "No, I'm sorry, you can't have that." They'll throw a fit. And they know that like the, the brain is working. Their little brain is figuring life out. And like, how do I get what I want? I'll throw a fit. Maybe I'll get it. And or I'll cry. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll pout. Maybe I'll get it. Um, and sometimes they say, if you don't let me do this thing, I won't love you anymore. Right. And as it may, maybe the first time you hear that as a child say it, you're like, oh, my gosh. But like the ninth time, you're like, whatever, you know, fine. Don't love me anymore. See how that works out for you, you know. Um, but but because it's a child and because we're the parent and because there's this imbalance of relationship, there's an imbalance of power, right? The child has no power in life. But if the parent says to the child something threatening, I will not love you anymore. Now, that has weight. That has teeth. That will fundamentally alter the way that a child understands the world. And so when a parent threatens a child, it could be a little threat, a big threat, whatever it is, like that has power. It hurts because the child knows I depend upon this person. In the same way, in the same way that we are in relationship to God. Like God can take it, right? I've told you all many times, like God can take it. If you get mad at God, God can take it. It's all right. It's like it's like five year old getting mad at 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 mommy or daddy. Like all right, this 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 will be over in a minute. We'll just you know we'll get through it. And God can take it. God's been there. God's heard it before. Like let it all be out there to God. But imagine if God said to you, "I will punish you." Now how how does that affect? That doesn't that doesn't mean that to me doesn't feel like love anymore. Now we've moved into the realm of fear, because if this God who has all the power in the universe, now holds the uh, threat to us, this can no longer be a loving relationship. It is a relationship now rooted in self-preservation. It is a relationship rooted in, in how do I come out of this thing alive? And so the threat, the heavy boulder that the church has put over the world of divine punishment on the world has actually been antithetical to the thing that we have proclaimed that God is. If God is love, then God cannot be a threat to us because the moment something becomes a threat to us, we can no longer operate in love. Rather, this God, if God is love, must be vulnerable. That's a hard thought for us to think about. That God is vulnerable. That God has so opened God's self up to ourselves that God would suffer injury, suffer harm because of us. But if we even if we go to human interactions, we understand how this works, right? Like if 
if like 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 for me too, like I've got young children, I've got old children, and when young children they they do one thing, and it's like, nah, you know, go to your room. And then when you get older, it's a bigger deal. It's a bigger deal, and it hurts more, and there's more tension, and it's harder when people do things and have actions that harm one another. It becomes really hard. But as a parent, you know, even though those things are hard and you may in a moment be like, okay, we, we, we just got to we gotta have some moments, some time away from one another. As a parent, you don't lose yourself. You say, at the end of the day, I'm here. And I'm not going to leave you because I love you. That's love. That's love. Love is when things don't go the way that we wanted to. I'm not going to threaten you. I will be there for you. I will stand with you. I will suffer because of you. That's love, friends. And to me, that is what God is to us. God is love, willing to be injured and hurt by us and not need to respond by harming or punishing us because God is love and love doesn't punish. Love doesn't threaten. A lot of times I feel like as the church's history, and I've been there and I've watched it, and I've actually been part of it, that so often the church has said to those whom they disagree with or they're doing something like, I love you. I just, I'm just telling you the truth because I love you. To me, that's just gaslighting. It's just, it's just convincing us that we can disagree with, like I can hate you and I can punish you and I can control you, but I'll just call it love. And so I don't have to have to deal with it. It's not love. I, um, and, and I was, I was part for a little bit of this parent support group, um, because a parent hashtag, because you're a parent and, and the parent said, you know, when, when, a, when a child comes to you, oftentimes, you know, a teenager, older, you, you, you want to correct them. And they tell you that they're going to do something. You're like, you're going to do what? You can't do that. That's crazy. You know what the consequences of that? Like, that's our initial reaction, right? That is as people. But they, they, there was this thing. There's a book. And, and it's like part of this program. And they said, when a, when a kid comes to you and tells you what they're going to do, you have three responses. Only three responses. You can say, awesome you can say cool or you can say bummer that's it that's your only reaction that you get because you don't control them and they need to make their own decisions and the moment you try to dictate to control to change all that's going to do is create tension and they're going to have to go out and figure life out for themselves. And so you got awesome, you got cool, and you got bummer. That's been pretty hard for me. You know, and when somebody comes up, hey, I'm going to do this thing. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, question mark, cool. But, like, that's the sort of space that I believe in that non-controlling relationship with one another. Like, we're here for each other no matter what. I don't need to control you. I don't need to manipulate you. We're just here for one another. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. I love this. Um, I was reading this article. It talks about five practice, practices to cultivating relationships. And, and um, th- there's this quote that says this. To the child, 
It feels as if the parent is simply spontaneous on hand to comfort, guide, entertain, feed, clear up, and remain almost always warm and cheerful. Parents don't reveal how often they have bitten their tongues, fought back the tears, and been too tired to take off their clothes after a day of taking care of their children. The relationship is almost entirely non-reciprocal. The parent loves, but they do not expect the favor to be returned in any significant way. Parent and child may both love, but each party is on a very different end of the axis, unbeknownst to the child. This is why in adulthood, when we first say we long for love, what we predominantly mean is that we want to be loved as we were once loved by a parent. That is, naturally, a disaster. We need to move firmly out of the child and into a parental position. We need to become someone who is willing to be subordinate to their own demands and concerns to the needs of one another. And she goes on, says, we enter into adult relationships, in other words, looking for the love we had or wished we had as children. But not only is this an impossible goal, it's also the wrong goal. The right goal is to love others that way. The right goal is to bite our tongues and hide our tears for the sakes of adult in our lives. Not all the time, of course, but far more often than most of us do. The right goal is to lavish our fellow grown-ups with love. Almost none of us will achieve this fully, of course, but we can get much better at it. And striving to get there is the work of a lifetime. Mm. Because we are, right? Like we, we all have, we're all four-year-olds in grown-up bodies, really. Like our brains are still there. And we remember how we were loved by our moms, by our dads, by our grandparents, how we were cherished. We remember those warm moments. We remember that still, and we want that no matter how old we are. We get, I, I, I'm willing to bet. I, I mean, I'm 42. I'm willing to bet you could be 84, and you still, like, you want to be loved like your mom loved you, right? As you were when you were four years old. We want that desperately. And then we don't get that around us sometimes, and we feel vulnerable and hurt, and then we're like, oh, I just want mommy. We don't say that, right? But our brain's saying, I want mommy. And we don't get that, and we get mad. We're like, oh, you can't love me like, like I want to be loved, and I don't even know how to tell you how I love because, like, I don't even understand it myself, but I just feel upset. But maybe we need to turn that, right? And that is valid and good. But maybe we need to turn that because we live in that space for our whole lives. We're going to be thinking that everybody's here to serve us and nobody can really get it right. Maybe we need to be that to other people, to the other adults in our lives. Maybe we need to be that loving, caring presence, that affirming presence in people's lives to let the world know, to let our neighbors know, to let our families know we got you. We're here for you. We truly care about you, not about what you do. We're not going to be primarily concerned with what you do in life. We're not going to be primarily concerned with who you're with in life. We're not going to be primarily concerned with those things. We're going to be primarily concerned with you and say we love you. We care about you because God loves us and cares about us, and we love you so much that we're willing to shut up. We're willing to not say anything. We're willing to just embrace you. We're willing to just embrace you. She gives a couple steps that I want to read because I thought these are really good. How do we how do we do this as grown-ups? How do we live and love one another as grown-ups? First, she says, is love yourself first. Like, yeah, 
That's, that's hard to do because we're, uh, we're our own harshest critics, aren't we? We're our own. We're like we look at ourselves and we're like, you're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. Oh, man, why couldn't you have done this better? Why couldn't you have been this? This is what we tell ourselves. But, like, what, that, what does that do? It makes us feel bad. It makes us feel insecure. It makes us feel unloved. And then what do we do to others? We say to others, you aren't good enough. You aren't pretty enough. You aren't fast enough. You aren't smart enough. If we can't love ourselves, we can't love others. If we can't be okay with us, then it's going to be really hard to be okay with somebody else. And so how do we cultivate that? I think we cultivate, one way we cultivate that is through meditation, right? It's through just taking deep breaths and reminding ourselves, you are good, beautiful, and I accept you. We say this to ourselves, I accept you and I embrace you. The things that you're good at and the things that you're still working at, I embrace you and it all belongs. Your happiness and joys belong and they're valid. Your fears and frustrations, they belong and they're valid and they're teaching us something about ourselves and about the world, the person that we want to be and how we want to interact with the world. You know, lots of times we have a fear and we're afraid of it, and we, we, it freaks us out inside. And we try to get rid of that fear, right? Or we try to get rid of that anger because we've learned that's a, ne- quote, negative emotion. I don't think it's a negative emotion. It's telling us something about ourselves. It's telling us something about how we feel about the world right now. So embrace it. Accept it. Ask it. What do you want to show me? Where's, where are you coming from, anger? Why are, why are you here? What do you want to show me about me and those around me? Embrace yourself. Love yourself because you are amazing. You are amazing. You're beautiful. You're enough. You're strong. You're capable. You have gone through so much in your life to be where you are today. Cherish yourself. Love yourself. Celebrate yourself. That's the first step. The second I think what she says is exclaim over whatever is exclaimable in people. There, there, that is celebrate whatever you can celebrate about somebody else. Whatever's great that you see about somebody else, whatever you notice, celebrate them. We do this with kids, don't we, all the time. We're like, we see them run and we're like, you're so fast. That's amazing. They come home with good grades and we're like, you're so smart. Great job. They come home with a craft and you're like, oh my goodness, you're going to be an artist one day. But then we get to an adulthood and we're like, that's crap. You need to pick it up, buddy. You're going too slow around here. You can get left behind and eaten by wolves. Let's go. Right? Like, we, what happens to us? <laughs> what happens? What if we just treated everybody like they were a four-year-old? And, right? And they're like, you're so, I love that dress you have on today. I love, like, you're, like you, you did this thing, and it's amazing. Great job. What if at work we went to our coworkers and, and then the way, you know, when they handed out an report and be like, this, great work, great work, good job. This is amazing. I know you put a lot of hard work into this and you it probably, you were stressed out. Thank you. This is really good and it's meaningful. Thank you for caring so much. Like what if we exclaimed that over people all the time, all day long, especially like in our ho- homes with our partners and spouses? What if we were just like did that? Because like 
You know, we need more of that, don't we? Like, what if we just like exclaimed what is exclaimable, celebrates what is celebratable. Just tell people how great they are. We feel like, oh, no, what are they going to think? Like, right, we're a little bit shy just to give people those things because we're like, oh, what if they think of something to me? <laughs> just, just, just think about when you, somebody tells you how great you are, what do you feel like? You're like, oh, come here, give me a hug. You're amazing, right? Like, that's how people feel. People are going to love it. Everyone loves to be celebrated. Uh, everyone loves to know how great they are. So do it. Go out. Make somebody's day. Third, remember this, she says. There isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've heard their story. Now, we could, we could argue this a little bit, but this is, comes back to this idea of seeing someone's humanity. We've all been through a lot. Some of us have been through terrible childhoods, difficulty, abuse, trauma, and we are here where we are. And those things, those experiences form us into a certain way and maybe we react in the world in a certain way because of them maybe we need to always think about i wonder what they've been through maybe somebody didn't give us the reaction that we wanted maybe somebody didn't give us the result that we wanted maybe instead of getting mad at somebody we could just say what what i wonder what they've been through that's brought them here i i, I wonder if they've had the people around them to celebrate them like they deserve to be celebrated. Sure, at the end of the day, we're going to disagree with some people. Yes, at the end of the day, sometimes some people will do things that harm us, and that's not okay. And I'm not saying that we just gloss over that and we don't, we're like, whatever, and we're just like, let's sing Kumbaya and hug it out. Because sometimes we can't sing Kumbaya and hug it out because the actions of that person are destroying this person. And that needs to be said. It needs to stop. We need to demand justice. But we also can, we can do that and also celebrate somebody's humanity. This is one thing that we need work on as a society right now. And I think it's a big thing that we could do more work in. Like oftentimes if we disagree with somebody, we begin to hate that person and we, do we see them as completely depraved and nothing good is in them and they're, they're deplorable, right? No one is deplorable. People still have the image of God on them. And so how then do we have hard conversations with people who are hurting us or stand with policies that are hurting us but yet still see their humanity? I believe if we could get to that point, this is what I hate about politics right now. It's not about I, this is my policy and this is your policy. It's about this is who you are and this is who I am. And I don't like you and you're awful because this is what you want in the world. Like, I, 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 think, that's, I think that's a wrong step. I think it's a wrong step. I think we need to see people's humanity, celebrate people's humanity, Hold love in that space and yet still hold our ground. We can do both. It, it's possible. It's hard. It's harder. And that's why we are where we are. Because, because holding our ground and yet still loving somebody is hard to do. But we can do that. We can do that. And so, let's listen to people's story. And finally, she says, remember that you can't control people's behavior. You can only control your own. Try to walk through the world with an attitude of calm warmth that remains steady, regardless of how others treat you. 
When you feel threatened or provoked, take a deep breath, count to 10, and try to regain your posture. If counting to 10 isn't enough, try removing yourself from the situation for a bit and imagine yourself in a beautiful setting at the beach (laughs) when it's 96. That's what I think about. Or in the presence of a loving, nurturing person. When you're ready to engage, try to separate the substance of what the person is saying from your feelings of threat or provocation. None of this is easy, but let's try. What if we moved through like life like that and tried to be a calm presence to others? Like when our like when our kids come home and they're just they had a really rough day. Sometimes my kids have always done this. They've come home, they've had a really rough day, and then they begin to argue. They begin to to threaten. That's okay. I don't need those. Don't worry about it. Thanks. They begin, they, they, they throw fits, and sometimes what my kids have always needed is just a hug. And so sometimes they'll be really angry, and I'll just go up to them, and I'll hold them, and I'll pick them up, and I'll say, come here. You just need a hug. And I'll hug them for four or five minutes. And you know what happens? They're better. They're better. Sometimes we just need a hug, don't we? Sometimes life is so darn hard. We navigate and walk through these spaces that are hard, and we feel like there's arrows shooting into us all over. And sometimes we just need somebody to hug us and hold us for a few minutes, and we'll be better. Maybe you can be that for somebody else this week. Maybe when somebody reacts to you in anger, you can just say, come here, let me give you a hug. Because that, I believe, is love. And so in that space, how do we train? Like we take this. And we say, God is love. There is no threat. There is no punishment because that's fear. Threat and punishment are about fear. There is no fear or punishment in God. God is embrace. Now, God will work, yes, for justice. And God will work to move us and to bring people into our lives to move us, to get us into a place of justice. Absolutely. But that can be done without punishing that can be done without the threat of hell, y'all. It can be done because God is God. And so as we move out into the world, may we take on the character of this God of love to be vulnerable, to be exposed, to have our arms open wide instead of our fists clenched. May we open ourselves and say, we're going to love you. Because God loves you. And we're not going to threaten you. We're not going to try to control you. And we're not going to tell you that you're wrong in this or this or this. We're just going to say, awesome, cool, bummer. And we're going to be there for you whenever you need us. Because this is what God does. God is there for us whenever we need us, whenever we need God, without the need to control us without the need to manipulate us, without the need to punish us, without the need to judge us. Just arms open. Arms open. God is saying to you today, I love you. Just as you are. Just as you are right now. You don't have to be anything better, anything more. God loves you just as you are. God's arms are opened up to you today. God won't punish you. God won't threaten you. God's not afraid of you. God just wants to love you. And so may we open up our hearts to that love 
And may we allow that love to turn out into the world. And may we be that presence to our neighbors, to our family, and to our friends. Love. 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 As we prepare our hearts to celebrate the love that Christ showed us by giving himself up for us, let's pray. Lord God of love, we give you thanks for your great goodness to us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, but you love us anyway. Wow. May our hearts be overcome and overwhelmed by that today. Remind us of your love. God, remind us that we're good enough. Remind us that we're children and we're beautiful to you just as we are. As we move out into the world, we pray that we would have this same attitude to the world around us, that we would love them just like this, without threatening, without punishment, without fear, just embrace and vulnerability and arms open wide and celebrate and celebrate. God, may we be your instruments of love in the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray.